we run these mental movies where we worry about our business going under, or we worry about, does that person going to come through on what they promised? And when you start to see through some of that, the whole thing just gets a lot less scary because you see, oh, this is temporary. And when my thinking changes, this whole experience is going to change. Welcome to the My Future Business Show, where we get you in front of your best audience and keep you there. Not only are we interviewing the biggest names in business to help you become even more successful, we're inviting you to book your spot on the show to help you grow your business. So at the end of the call, make sure you fill in the interview application form at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. Hello and welcome back to the My Future Business Show. It's Rick Nusky. I hope you're doing wonderfully well no matter where you are in this big, wide, wonderful world. If it's your first time here, strap in because this is going to be a wonderful call because I'm on the line with Michael Neal. How are you, Michael? I am very well, thank you. Now, just for context, Michael, I'm just going to be sharing that you're an internationally renowned best-selling author. You're a coach, speaker, and we're going to be talking how you're challenging cultural mythology that stress and pressure are a necessary part of adaptation and growth, along with how to reconnect with your deeper self to get more out of life. Wow, that's a, that's a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> that, that is. I should have worked on breath control when I wrote it. <laughs> oh, look, um, I, I mentioned earlier that I've been doing my research and watching all your videos, and I'd love to talk about those at, in some length. Um, but before we do that, it's customary for us, Michael, to learn a little bit more about yourself. Let's start off with uh, where you're located. Uh, so I live in Los Angeles, California. Beautiful place. Absolutely. Has yeah. that been your home uh, for a long time or...? Uh, we we moved here 21 years ago. So we moved here right after, like, two weeks after the millennium. So what uh, uh, what attracted you to the City of Angels? Uh, absolutely nothing. Ah. Um, except, <laughs> no, it was one of those, I, I, it happens more often now, but probably three times in my, in my life, I had absolute knowings. And one was to move to London when, uh, from, from Massachusetts when, uh, that was back when I was 19. And one was to buy out my business partner when I was probably, God, mid-20s. And then one was to move to LA uh, in, actually it was early 1999 when I got that one. And my wife so didn't want to come. And it made no sense from pretty much any standard. But it was, you know when you get one of those knowings where it's so strong that you can't not follow it oh yeah so, I mean, to the point where it was you know it wasn't like my wife and i were going to split up and we had two kids but it was like i was going to commute from london to la six weeks at a time because i so knew i had to be there yes yes and in the end she relented and i hit her with a club <laughs> over my shoulder and of course but you did it worked out all right you know? <laughs> now I, I know that uh you have uh children now now are they grown up tell us a little bit about them and what they're up to yeah so my my oldest is 27 and he lives up in portland and oregon, oregon my yes little uh daughter is in brooklyn and works in manhattan and my youngest is up in Washington State going to uni at uh, University of Washington. Oh, well done. Excellent news. Now, I, I wonder, um, I like to wind back time and go back to our childhood because we all, we've all had one, whether or not we remember it or not. And I wonder, uh, where, where was it uh, that you grew up? And what can you remember I, I, about growing up? Well, I grew up in a small town called Shrewsbury, Massachusetts. Shrewsbury. Uh, never heard of it. Yeah, no, not many people have. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but it was, you know, it was it was nice. It was, uh, you know, just small town life and uh, kind of very slow pace of life. And I was very much an outlier 
So my family were all uh, genius scientists. My, my dad was actually an engineer, mm -hmm. um, Rena. He designed the legs to the lunar module that landed on the moon. Get it. And he helped invent wow. uh, in-air helicopter refueling probes. And he, he did all sorts of cool stuff like He's that. My cookie. mom was a professor of organic chemistry from the University of Brussels. Wow. My brother went to MIT at 15. My sister went to Harvard. And I decided I was going to become an actor. And they were so proud. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Uh, it's funny because, you know, I think about trajectories, life trajectories and the, the decisions you make and how they compound over time. And clearly you've done very well for yourself. And before we shift gears and talk about all of the work that you've been involved with, Michael, I'd love to learn. Uh, are you a pet lover? Oh, my God. Yeah. If uh, Actually, they're not in here. Where are they? There are normally two dogs in here, one on the sofa, one by the door. And the two cats usually avoid interviews, but they'll occasionally... Pass back and forth. In front of the, the fish don't care. They never come in. <laughs> now, and the reason I ask this is because, you know, we talked um, a lot of what you talk about has to do with stress and pressure. And I personally find being a, a large uh, breed dog lover, uh, a dog breed lover, that they help me relax. How important mm. for you is um, having animals around you um, to relax? And is it part of, I guess, a therapy almost? Well, it's. It, it, they have a therapeutic effect, but mm. I don't think I'd ever get them for therapy. There's, there's <laughs> a lot of work. Right? <laughs> like it's probably cheaper to hire a therapist, but as long as you love animals, they're, yeah. they're, they're great. And I yeah. mean, you know, we grew up without any animals. So I didn't have, I got my first cat the day I moved out into my first apartment. Um, and I have never been without at least one animal since then. My wife grew up on a farm, so she's never been without animals. Yeah, that's wonderful. And, uh, you know, your, uh, your wife, uh, your partner, your life partner would be, um, you know, in your corner uh, at all times, like mine is for me. How important has she been in your success along the way? Oh, she's been the little sanity rock. Um, um, yes. <laughs> you know, some people have a pet rock. I have a sanity rock. <laughs> no, she, I, no, she, he, he, I did a thing. It's funny. I was teaching a group earlier this morning and I thought of this exercise I hadn't done since I was just starting out in my career. And I did this thing that, uh, called the happy deathbed exercise. And it was, you're, you're, you're on your deathbed, but you're really, really happy because you've had an amazing life. Yeah. And the question was, why are you happy? And it was, no, I was 24. So Nina and I were already married. We've been married 30 something years, but we, we didn't have kids yet, but it was very obvious to me that part of why I was so happy was because I'd been there with my family as the kids were growing up. And it meant I did actually go on a very different career trajectory than I expected to. Because mm. I could have, do, doing both my jobs, the job I used to do as an actor and the job I've done for, again, over 30 years as a, a teacher and a writer, I could have been on the road 300 days a year. Easy. And I would have probably been more theoretically successful earlier had I been willing to do that. But because it was so clear to me, I was only interested in getting as far as I could get without missing any school plays, baseball games. That's wonderful, yeah. You, you know, it, 
it took a little longer, but mm. I got to the same place I probably would have gotten to anyways. And, you know, my kids and I actually like each other and my <laughs> wife and I still like each other too. So. That's wonderful. I really appreciate that sort of uh, insight and feedback. It makes a great deal of difference to get some context about your life. Thank you. Now, in terms of, uh, you, you mentioned your father a little earlier, and I wonder uh, in terms of, I guess, the catalyst throughout your life that helped you become the person you've become today, what, what people were around you that have helped mold you into the man you've become, do you think? Well, I do think that a lot of how I am in business came from my dad. Mm. Um, now, he, he was killed uh, in a car accident when I was 24 again. Mm -hmm. I was doing deathbed exercises. Um, so, you know, in a way, I never knew him as an adult or as a business person. But he just was as straight as the day is long. Um, the, my favorite story about my dad in business was he did, was doing some work when he was just starting out with the, um, the military and he went to some meeting, uh, at the Pentagon and, uh, they, 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 they said to him, well, you know, we, we were going to do this and we still need you to do this, but we're only going to be able to pay you this much instead of this much. And my dad, who was as mild mannered a man as I'd ever met, <laughs> apparently threw a chair. Oh, he was so mad. And the Colonel was like, ow, ow, I was negotiating. <laughs> like, but it wouldn't have occurred to my dad to have done that. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> because we had a deal. We, like, you know, the unions apparently uh, tried to organize at his uh, company a few times, and they never did because he offered his people better deals than the unions did. So I grew up with that as just normal. And so there's an element to which I just kind of lucked out in that sense. And my son, who's now 27, said to me about five years ago, he said, Dad, of all the things you taught me growing up, the one that's made the biggest difference is when you said that showing up on time and doing what you say you will will be a competitive advantage. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, I, and it's quite funny that because like, I didn't know that. I just thought that's what you did. Yeah. But it turns out, no, not so much. <laughs> now, Michael, I, I want to just uh, focus on your acting experiences. Have they helped, um, I guess, you when you speak on stage? Because I know that you're very well known, very popular and very effective when you're on stage. Can you tell us a little bit about maybe the crossover? Is there any? Do you know, there is and there isn't. I have always been comfortable on stage. I started doing public speaking in high school mm. and I actually would do competitions. And I, I, I remember after winning a big scholarship from public speaking, my dad coming up to me and saying, you know, it's occurred to me, you may never have to do a day's work in your life. And I don't know whether to be proud or ashamed. <laughs> um, but, but, but that it was more that, because actually I found acting nerve wracking mm -hmm. for whatever reason, being myself has never been a problem, but, but, but I put a lot of work into being other people. And so while I did have a fairly success, I had a sitcom in, in uh, I, I'm famous in Wales. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I played the American guy. You know, I did, I, I did have actually a lovely career. I, I, I got a lot of street cred playing the villain in one of the Scooby-Doo's um, and things like that. It, it wasn't so much that that gave me the comfort to speak as my comfort speaking made me pretty good at that. Yeah, thank you again. Now, I, I know that we all live in a, I guess, somewhat of a tumultuous world where risk is omnipresent almost. How much have you taken from um, taking risk in your life? Is it is it something that you've embraced or is it challenging for you? 
Well, it's really interesting because it turns out risk is really subjective. So I have done things that other people said were risky. I have done very little in my life that I thought was risky. Um, So I I, kind of grew up a bit of a fraidy cat. So I wouldn't do stuff that I found really scary but it just turned out that there was a bunch of stuff other people found scary that I never did. Never did. But like I know that you know the story is that uh, public speaking is the scariest thing. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there's a Terry Seinfeld routine. That yes, yes. Public speaking is the number one fear. Dying is the number two fear, which means at a funeral, more people would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. <laughs> like for me, that just was never scary. It, it just, just never was. And just I never can was. tell. It, it and seems I obvious. Did actually, <laughs> I, I worked out uh, at one point and it was very helpful to see that it was because for whatever reason, when I was speaking from a stage or working with a client, I never thought about me at all. Mm. All I was thinking about paying attention to were the people I was talking with. Mm. So it was the one time I wasn't self-conscious, whereas I walked off stage and it was all about me. Yes. What am I doing? How do I look? How, yes. you know, what is it? Whereas on stage, for whatever reason, no, it made no sense to think about me. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm loving this conversation, Michael. Thank you very much. Now, I notice you have a significant collection of uh, books behind you. I'm not sure even if, if you've got others that are in digital format. Now, um, are you an avid reader? Do you enjoy reading? Uh, is it yeah, audible? I've, I've, what is it? I've slowed down to about three or four books a week. Slow um, down to three or four. Yeah, you know, I used it. So this collection has been Marie Kondoed down from over 3,000 to about 300. Wow. Uh, no, I, I worked in bookshops so that I could get books cheaper when I was, when I was young. You that's I just that's went a strategy. So many books. <laughs> uh, and so, no, I've always been a reader. Um, my my reading tastes have changed a lot over the years. Mm-hmm. Fictional, non-fictional? Or? Um, I read a lot of both. Um, yep. I, I went through a stage when I was taking business seriously where I stopped reading any fiction. Mm. And at some point, I, I think a new John Grisham book came out. And I was like, this is really good. And then I, <laughs> I went back to it. And away you go. Do you get, uh, where do you get your best ideas from, do you think? I think I get my, I know traditionally it's supposed to be the shower, but I get my best <laughs> ideas on the dog walks. Um, it, you know, I'm a big walking thinker. Okay. So I, I, even before I had dogs, when I lived in London, I would just walk in London and in, inevitably, you know, I'd, I'd be thinking about some work thing or a training thing or something that was coming up and ideas would just start to come. And I just learned that was, I think, very well on my feet. You, you seem to look after yourself. You're obviously an active person. How important is it for you to, to get those walks, to be physically active? Well... It's, it's interesting. So I, I am, I actually uh, have, I can hear that now and own it in a way. I always thought it was a good idea. Mm-hmm. I think I was actually pretty, and I, especially when I was on the road a lot, because yep. there was a time when the kids were grown up and I was still working and I began to travel more promoting books and things like that. And I think I could have done with being more active during those times, mm-hmm. but no, I just, I just really enjoy it. My wife loves it. Like she, she was a, a, you know, personal trainer, and she genuinely loves working out. the same way as, you know, I, I will make myself work out, she does it for fun. 
in the same way as other people can get themselves to to speak and i love it yep so so i've just kind of nicely grown up in an environment where that's what you do now we're going to be talking about mindset in a moment because i know a lot of the dance that we live every day is is in our mind and especially after uh, Mm -hmm. listening to your wonderful tedx talk um how can we be awesomer absolutely love that title Um, a great presentation but before we do that, I'm wondering if you could share with the audience some of your major achievements and involvements, because I'm thinking that you could explain them better than I could. Would that be possible? Yeah, in that awkward, oh, shucks, I'm not supposed to say nice <laughs> stuff about myself. I'll be humble. <laughs> Look, I think, I think, okay, there are things that I'm proud of that aren't necessarily the coolest things I ever did. But uh, I think probably as an author, one of the coolest things was there, and I've got it up on my bathroom wall somebody uh, <laughs> printed it but i i was i i my book my first book was the number one best-selling book in the united kingdom above the lincoln lawyer oh wow um, and now it wasn't for long <laughs> but it was long enough for somebody to screenshot it, screenshot. Print it, up, yep. it. um so that you know there was that was a real sense of oh okay you, you, you know that whatever else happens they, they can't take that away and, you, you know and honestly i've gotten the chance to help millions of people like yes. for real where i know that i have yes and 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 that's just kind of enough Absolutely. so yeah I, I mean i've got a bio and it's i always when people read my my full bio out i always think i'm going to be taller um and i'm not <laughs> <laughs> but, but but the stuff that's meaningful to me it sounds hokey but it is it's it's yeah i've got a few personal accomplishments i'm very proud of and the rest is the people i've helped they're my resume absolutely it's a credit to you and, and keep up the great work thank you very much now i know that um you know we can talk about so many different things but i'd love to touch on your work with the united nations in over 60 countries and what uh, different cultures have um, meant to you and how they've helped shape your your views of the world? Well, I think the biggest thing that I have learned in, in all that travel and all that work is that for all the cultural differences that do exist, absolutely, there are things that are polite in one place that are rude in another place. Mm. Um, and for all the individual differences underneath you know if i'm hanging out with somebody in dubai it's not different to hang out with them in a township in south africa and it's not different from hanging out with them in a prison in northern california and it's not different to hanging out with them on their billion dollar estate uh you know in in the united kingdom it's it's I've been fortunate to work with people literally in all walks of life. Mm. And and underneath, you know, obviously the conditions are dramatically different. People are pretty much the same. They all really want to be happy Mm. and they want to kind of not suffer and they want the people that they love to not suffer and to do well. And it's just they all have very, very different ideas of what that will take. Yes, thank you. Uh, again, working with so many different people, it must have been a wonderful opportunity, a very fulfilling one at that. Now, um, I was watching earlier, why uh, why aren't we awesome at your TEDx talk? I'm wondering if we can shift gears and, and focus on that mm-hmm. a little bit in terms of um, your experience, because I know it was quite a serious one there. And um, at one stage in your talk, you talked about suicidal ideation. Can you introduce us to this experience, if you don't mind? 
Yeah. So I was, (laughs) I was pretty messed up as a teenager. Um, I was, I, I wasn't, I didn't have any circumstantial issues, you know, um, mm. my, my, my family were really nice. Uh, you know, I grew up in a nice town. It was, you know, we weren't rich, we weren't poor, but I was, I suffered from pretty heavy duty depression from about the age of 13 on. And it got tied in with what is called suicidal ideation, which just meant I thought about killing myself a lot. Mm. And it, and at first it didn't even particularly scare me because it was all I knew. Um, but at, at some point I, I talked to somebody about it and then found out, oh no, you're not supposed to think that. And then it got scary. And it, it, it sort of came to a head while I was at university. And I had the extraordinary experience I talk about in the talk where I, I really did feel like I was being sucked out this fourth story window. Um, and I, I, I went to call the suicide hotline and I got a busy signal. Yeah. And, and I, you know, to this day, I, I just, I can't not smile when I think about it because I don't <laughs> think anybody could have talked me off the ledge like that busy signal did. Cause it was just like, you know, I, I remember thinking that what next is going to lightning's going to strike inside the room and it's going to start <laughs> raining, but only on me. Um, and it, it just popped something in me mm. and it was where I first got, cause I, if you'd known me back then, you would have thought boy, this guy lives in this high, high, high stress, and then he's not there at all. And then high stress, and then he's not there at all. Mm. Um, And I I came to actually understand that that is how a lot of depression works, is it's a bit like, this is a weird analogy, but it's actually one of the best ones I've found, like a hotel hairdryer. Like, I don't know if you travel much, but Uh, all all hotel hairdryers will switch themselves off if they start to overheat. Mm-hmm. So the hotel room doesn't catch fire if you forget to turn off the hairdryer. Small detail. <laughs> well, but but here's the thing. I was living in such a heightened state of anxiety that my whole system was overheating and it would switch off and I would be depressed because there was no energy all of a sudden. And and it, it really was like that. I, I suddenly came to realize, oh God, this is actually my psychological immune system trying to help me Mm. not kill me. The, even the suicidal ideation was like an escape fantasy from the stress. Mm. And once I realized that I I did, I woke up the next morning and I realized that even though I'd been thinking about killing myself on and off for almost seven years, I didn't want to kill myself because that night had I wanted to, I could have just let go of the wall and I was gone, but I hung on to it. I mean, it's a cliche, but for dear life, yeah, exactly. I had to everything I had. And I, I realized, oh, God, so this is just a thought. I just have a scary thought. It doesn't mean I want to do it. It's just a really scary thought. And that was the beginning of my beginning to see the difference between thought and reality. Was this the genesis for you to uh, start writing and helping <laughs> Do you know what? It wasn't. Uh, it was the genesis for me to start trying to understand what the hell was wrong with me. Right. Um, I always want a, a, a more um, generous origin story where, ah, yes, I've always wanted to help people. I didn't have room in my head to care about people. Mm-hmm. I was just trying to stay alive. I was just trying to stay okay. So for me, it, 
it, it just started out with finding things that were helpful to me, that settled me. Mm. And I did pretty good at that for a number of years. I got very successful. I started writing books years later when I'd already been teaching yes. for a long time. Mm -hmm. And But my first books were really about how to be successful and happy even if you were depressed and anxious. So I, I considered myself, I don't think proudly, but not with any shame, a high-functioning depressive. Yep. I, I was a very successful, I was an example that even if you suffered from stress and depression, uh, you, you could still have an, a pretty nice life. And it wasn't until much later in my career in 2008 that I, that I had the, the, the full-on epiphany that actually that wasn't, that's not human nature. No. Babies don't need therapy. We're, <laughs> we're born okay. We're born okay. We, we learn along the way some stuff that's not terribly helpful. And, and that's really been the essence of my work for the last 15 years. Thank you again, Michael. It's, it's just such a wonderful conversation that we're having now. If I may, I'm wondering, given the nature of the world that we're living in at the moment and everything that's happening to us, uh, well, with us, uh, amongst us globally, uh, with the pandemic, are you finding that your work is far more important now? Because I'm, I'm hearing uh, from more than one position uh, and I guess set of society that, you know, we are under a lot of pressure. Businesses are closing. Uh, I've lost my job or all these other things that stress people yeah. out how is that well, one, one, one of my clients described it he said uh y you've gone from being uh, a luxury yacht to a lifeboat mm. i don't know if you saw dunkirk but i i always kind of liked that analogy where they just took every boat no matter what kind of boat and just needed it to rescue people yep and and so there's an element to which um it, it, it has been really clear that when things are going okay, we, we kind of muddle through on our own. Mm. But when, when we're up against something that we kind of know we don't know how to handle, that's when we're open to help. And, and so, yeah, it's actually been, uh, you know, I've had the chance to reach a whole nother group, yep. group of people, a whole nother level mm. of mm. people because they've needed it as opposed to up oh, you know, I always considered myself, I even would say to people, look, you don't really need someone like me, but I can make things a lot better. Yeah. But I would say over the last few years, actually people have kind of needed somebody like me. And so it was just as well. I was already there. Yeah. Fortuitous, let's say. Yeah. I, 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 I saw the image in your, your talk where we create these pictures in their minds and you've used these example of the spinning woman and uh, can you see the old woman or the young woman classics and but the one that really caught my attention was the dog sniffing oh, the dog's yeah. backside <laughs> that really captured the essence of everything that you were trying to explain and it's a credit to your student <laughs> who brought that to the fore now people who won't understand what the hell i'm talking about could you explain that for us and why that well, matters so a lot of what i share in my teaching mm. is that we we live in a thought created reality yeah so so now you live in one i live in one everybody has their own and they have enough overlap that we can mostly pretend we live in the same world. Yeah. But, yeah. but the truth is, the inside of your head and the inside of my head are going to be very different places. But we, 
it works so well, like the, the holodeck in Star Trek or, or like a virtual reality machine, that a lot of the time we have no idea that we're living in our thinking. And so I'm always looking for ways to illustrate that. And, and one of my students did send me a picture of a, of a dog sort of mounting a, a shadow of a dog. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and, and it's it's a lot like that Absolutely. We, we both think that the world is doing it to us or we're doing it to the world when in fact most of that's just happening in our own heads and when you realize that it, it's 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 like the difference between if you saw a real um mugging or watching a mugging in a movie like you might be a bit shocked by the mugging in the movie but you know that you're gonna be fine you don't yeah. really think anything terrible is happening. Hmm. But we worry about, we run these mental movies where we worry about a mugging or we worry about our business going under or we worry about, does that person gonna come through on what they promised? And and we're, we're basically living in these scary movies in our heads, but we forget that they're just movies. We think they're documentaries. We think they're based on real what really happened. We think that dog the shadow of the dog is a real dog and we're going to have to <laughs> you know deal with it and and when you start to see through some of that you don't have to even see through all of it the whole thing just gets a lot less scary because you see oh this is temporary yeah and when my thinking changes this whole experience is going to change even if the circumstances don't uh, I know it's a bit of a crossover comment, but you know that's profound. Even though I know you don't want to be profound, because that's one of the points you make in your your other talk. But thank you again for sharing, because I know a lot of people would be getting a great deal of, of value out of this. Now, from a practical perspective, given what you've just said, Michael, is this about um, taking small incremental steps to reprogram how we think? What are some of the practical things that maybe you talk about in your books? Yeah, so it's almost the opposite of that. Hmm. And, and, but that is the work that I used to do. So I, I, I sort of mentioned that the first part of my career, hmm. I was learning and teaching how to be high functioning, even if you were depressed or even if you were anxious or even if you were stressed. And that was about mental reprogramming. Yeah. And that was absolutely my field. And I became a world leader in that field. But ultimately, I was also aware that even with all that reprogramming, I was still only a couple of bad weeks away from going under. Okay. Yeah. And so what I actually came to see was that it, it wasn't which thoughts I was thinking. It was the fact that I wasn't seeing that I was living in a world of thought. So the, the thing that, that, that winds up proving incredibly helpful about that and sort of an analogy for it is if you're looking up at the sky, and there's a cloud that looks like a, a lion and there's a cloud that looks like a monster and there's a cloud that looks like a unicorn. You don't have to reshape the monster cloud so it looks more like the unicorn cloud. You don't have to reprogram the clouds so they look pretty because you know they're just clouds. You know that they look solid, but actually an airplane can fly right through, through them. them. Yeah. And so in, once you see it for what it is, you don't have to spend your time trying to make the clouds look pretty. They're just clouds. They're just clouds. And once you start to understand the thought-created nature of our personal experience, you don't have to have better thoughts. You just have to see them for what they are, which are temporal 
transient energetic experiences. It's, it's like water and ice are the same thing. Yes, in transformative states. Right, it's not better in one and it, it, it just looks and feels more solid when it's in the ice form than when it's in the water form than when it's in the gas form. Well, thought is just gas. And sometimes it flows like water and sometimes it seems really solid like ice, but it's all the same stuff. Yeah. Now, this is uh, very interesting. Um, do, you, do you ever get busy times in your mind and how do you quieten it down? Do we all go through this, a similar experience? At oh, times? I don't know anyone who doesn't mm. um, get busy minded. But the biggest thing that I've seen, and, and maybe there's two parts to this, is I used to do a thing. Let's see if this makes sense. So a busy mind, a really busy mind, people experience it as stress and worry, and they think they're stressed and worried and their mind is busy because there's so much to stress about. Mm. They don't realize that it's the feeling of the busy mind itself that creates the feeling of stress. Yeah. So that's one of the big problems. Like that's, that's one of the reasons is because we, we misunderstand the problem. We look in the wrong place for the solution. So uh, when, you, when you start to see, firstly, that the busy mind is the problem, not a way you're going to find the solution. You're just less inclined to keep revving yourself up. But the other part that I always found really interesting is I would, for years, I would have clients and I would say, hey, if I could wave a magic wand, mm -hmm. make it so that you could never worry again, would you want me to wave the wand? And not once in all of the years that I did that, did somebody say yes. No. Now they would always, almost always say, well, no, but I'd like you to make it so I worry less. Worry less, yep. And when I ask them about it, it's because at some level, everybody seems to think that worry keeps us safe, that worrying about the future is gonna help us avoid it, or that worry is gonna motivate us. Worry about a negative future will get us to take action now. Mm. So we think of it as a a really helpful thing that we just do too much of. Yeah. Well, what I've seen in my work is actually it has no value at all. At all, there's no place. And when people see that, then it's it 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 it's it's like if you, you know, I I don't want to stop stabbing myself in the arm with a fork. I just want to do it less. <laughs> right? It's, it's just when you really see that it yeah. has no. It's not that the habit of doing it might not still be there, but you're just really unlikely to do any more. You're only going to do it till you notice you're doing it, and then you're going to stop. Then you're going to stop, aren't you? I, I'd love to shift gears uh, in a moment, if we could, please, on your wonderful books. But uh, it makes me think about, given the, I guess, the passage of conversation we've had, Michael, about the impact that media uh, and, you know, the news and the likes is having on people's, um, you know, worry uh, levels. Do, what do you say about the media? Do, they, do you say switch off? Is there downtime? Do you say get away from technology? What's your view on that? I, I, I have come to see that every one of us has a built-in homing mechanism. Mm -hmm. In other words, we, we all have inside us our own guide back to presence, back to well-being, back mm -hmm. to ourselves. And so for some people, sometimes media is going to wind them up. And if they're paying attention, they'll feel it. They'll yeah. feel themselves yeah. start to do that. Stress. And that's just letting you know, oh, okay, not not now. <laughs> not for me. <laughs> there are other times where you can watch the news and be moved and be uh, kind of really moved by the humanity of, of things. And 
And, and it's a beautiful experience to be informed and to be connected. Mm -hmm. So it's not the media, it's noticing how we are responding and paying attention. And it, it, it's like anything else. If you're, if you're sitting in a way that's really uncomfortable, you don't need some, somebody to come along and say, now when you're feeling really uncomfortable, shift till you're more comfortable. <laughs> it's like, we just don't realize that that's true of the mind as well. Yeah. Yeah, that when our minds are revved up and uncomfortable, that's letting us know, hey, take a step back from your own thinking. And I'm it'll settle. Is it? That's, yes, that's how it works. I'm taking so much away from this, as I'm sure that my future business audience is as well. Now, if we could, I know that uh, you have multiple books and uh, I'd love to talk about, in particular, Supercoach. Is that your latest one? Um, well, it is. I think the 10th anniversary edition of Supercoach came out after creating the impossible. So it is and it isn't. I originally wrote it back in 2009, but the new edition, which actually is extensively rewritten, came out in 2019. So which one um, is, do you have a pet favorite? Is there one out of the lot that really stands out for you, do you think? Is that a fair you know, question? <laughs> it, it's, you're going to ask me which of my kids I love most next. No, no. <laughs> but no, I, I do have a soft spot for the Inside Out Revolution. Right. The Inside Out Revolution, it's, um, I think it's in 36 languages now, uh, tw 26, I beg yep. your pardon. Yep. I just came out in Italian, just, uh, um, <laughs> but, but it's a book that was so from the heart. It didn't yep. take me long to write it. Uh, I have so many, um, emails and letters and people who've come up to me at live events sharing stories about how I read this book on my way to the divorce lawyer. And by the time I got there, we decided not to get not divorced. To, yes. Yep. I read this book when I was thinking about killing myself and I'm, I'm still here. Mm -hmm. I read this book when my business was in crisis and now I've turned things around. And it's so interesting because in a way it's not a book about any of that. <laughs> it's just a book about how well-made human beings are and how easy it is for us to misunderstand how we work. Yeah, absolutely. Now, well, look, uh, in a moment, I'd love to share how we can get access to this uh, wonderful book and your library of books, let's call them. But uh, if we could, could we spend a couple of moments talking about uh, the Genius Catalyst Cafe? What's that about? And uh, your podcast, Caffeine for the Soul. Yeah, well, so I, I have... Uh, you can probably tell I, I talk a lot and, uh, <laughs> you and, too? and I, yeah, no, no, it's funny. I mean, I, I guess it probably makes me a good guest on something. Like Absolutely. I'm not yes. always happy about it, but you know, it works. <laughs> but, but one of the things that I, I realized, um, and I, funnily enough, I realized it before the, the pandemic was no matter how much I talked, I was never going to be able to reach everyone I'd love to reach. Yeah. And so, I started experimenting with creating online programs, self self study catalyst programs. Yes. Yes. Um, and and I found to my mostly delight, and a little bit of my ego was bruised because I thought, no, surely they can only get help if they work with me one on one. But, <laughs> uh, but but I found that actually people were getting a huge amount from interacting with programs that I yeah. created. Yeah. And and so we created the Genius Catalyst Cafe as a place where anybody who is doing those programs could get together and chat and hang out and compare notes. And, and so that's, that's how that started. That's how that came about. Fantastic. Um, and uh, caffeine for the soul was my best attempt at explaining 
how my work was different to a lot of work that would vaguely fit the area of psychological help, spiritual help, business help, in that it's, it's that space where humanity and divinity collide. It's that place in us that is dealing with very real world problems. But that doesn't actually mean that we're any less connected to the larger whole. And, yeah, and yeah. so that's just the best phrase I've come up with so far for that. And so that podcast, we've had a few million uh, downloads. Yeah, and people seem to love them. And they're, they're really short. Like they're all five <laughs> to 10 minutes long. I've listened and, to some, yes. And, uh, and people seem to really love them. And I love doing them. So. Yeah, and look, it's a credit to you. All this work is making so much difference on the world. Now, I'm wondering if people want to get access to your books, to your podcasts, to you, to learn more about your work, what's coming up, where are they going to find you? They're going to find it all at michaelneal.org. Michaelneal.org. I literally asked my, my web designer to build me a playground on the web. Playground on the web. Well, look, if you want to visit the playground on the web and, and see what Michael's up to and, and maybe get access to his books and his trainings, certainly do so at michaelneal.org. That's double L on Neil. I'll be making sure to make sure that uh, the links, no matter where you see this call, are available back to Michael and his wonderful work. And with all that being said, Michael, what a great call. Thank you so very much for joining me on the show today. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the call, then make sure to subscribe, leave a comment, share us with your friends and book your spot on the show at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. And if you're looking for solutions that will help grow your business, then visit myfuturebusiness.com forward slash shop.